Amen. Thank you, team, for that. Well, good morning. I'm grateful to see you today. And um, if you're a guest of ours, thanks so much for joining us. We are preaching through a series called The Doctrines That Define Us. And we are kind of building a, a theological foundation uh, as I begin our, our time, my journey together as your pastor. And then we'll, of course, build on that as we um, keep teaching through uh, God's Word. I am blessed today. Um, much to my surprise and joy and delight, um, some friends of ours uh, of 17 years now, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? Uh, friends of ours from Gainesville who, are, who uh, we served, where we served uh, there for nine years, they drove down this morning to worship with us and to wish me a happy birthday and um, thank you all for coming. What a blessing to see you all walk through these doors. That did my heart good. So good to see you. Mm. Thanks for the encouragement. All right, let's look at eternity this morning, okay? Next week, we're going to study the church, and then that's going to be the final um, installation of this series next week, and then we're going to do something interesting, something fun for the summer. We're going to do a journey through Psalms. We're going to just kind of pick a few Psalms for the summer. And we're going to just focus on the nature and the character of God, amen? And we're going to celebrate who he is this summer. Not that we don't do that every week, but we're going to focus on some particular psalms throughout the summer. Uh, and then as August gets here, I'll, we'll talk more about what we're going to do then. But so next week we'll finish this series, The Doctrines That Define Us with the Church. Uh, but today we're going to look at eternity. Nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Daniel wrote these words to us from Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. And so the prophet Daniel spoke to us nearly 3,000 years ago of, of the resurrection of the dead. And notice he didn't just say of some of the dead, but all of the dead. Now, with this truth prominently displayed in the hearts and minds of man, we understand that physical death is not the end of our journey. Uh, there is an eternity beyond the horizon. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a fabulous and wonderful preacher of the gospel for many, many years, made this statement, and I quote, Do we all realize that the most important thing we have to do in this world Think about that. The most important thing we have to do in this world is to prepare ourselves for eternity. I want you to think on that for the next 30 or so minutes. God has placed eternity in the hearts and minds of man. Now, Scripture teaches us that the experience of eternity will be in one of two places, heaven or hell, a place that offers eternal life or a place that offers eternal disgrace, contempt, and condemnation. And so we're going to take a closer look at eternity and the truth that God's Word gives us about it, all right? So if you have your bulletin on the back side there, you can take notes. I know the font's a little small and it looks like a lot, but I promise you we're going to get through it, all right? So just kind of hold on this morning. Number one, here's the first point I want you to see if you're going to follow along. Hell is a real place. We live in a day and an age today, we live in a culture that, that wants to argue that, that hell's not real, that it's the, the, the antithesis of heaven, that it's just an argument against heaven, but that it's not real. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth. 
Listen to the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. From Matthew 25 and verse 46, read that with me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now that's from the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep being the godly and the righteous, and the goats being the ungodly and the unrighteous. And Jesus tells us they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, look with me at that passage. The Apostle John records for us the words of Christ, and he says, Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. That's what Daniel spoke of. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. And so our Lord and Savior made it very clear, abundantly clear, crystal clear, that hell is a real place. It's a real place. Let's look next. Why was hell created? Hell was created for Satan and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41. Again, that same parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus said these words. Then he will also say to those on the left, that is the unrighteous, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never designed for man. Now, currently, Satan's dominion is on earth, all right? Uh, let me just share with you a couple of verses of Scripture. Write these down. John 12, 31, the Bible says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That is a reference to Satan. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And so we live in a day and age right now where God has given uh, Satan a limited amount of power, a limited amount of authority in this world, on this earth, to do as he pleases. Now, this freedom, this power, this authority that God's given to him is limited but it's also coming to an end one day. One day, Satan will be cast into hell for all of eternity. Revelation 20 and verse 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast, that is the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so hell was created for Satan and his angels. But that leads us to the next question you'll see there in your outline. Who will be in hell? Who will occupy hell? Well, look at the first point. Satan, Antichrist, that's the blank, the false prophet, and his demons. And you'll see the references in Scripture, Revelation 19, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 10, and verse 14, chapter 21, verse 15. So we know those, in the, the, those beings are in hell. But the Bible also teaches us this, okay? Those people from every generation who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ will also occupy hell. Listen carefully. Every individual from every generation who hasn't placed their faith in Christ will occupy hell. Look with me at these verses of Scripture that will be in front of you. John 3 and verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God references the eternal condemnation of man against sin. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, read this with me. And this is the testimony 
God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 9. Look with me. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. And then Revelation 20 and verse 15. The Bible says, Any And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to talk more about the book of life in just a moment. And I want to make a statement here and and, uh, just listen carefully. All those who have not placed their faith and trust in Christ will occupy hell. And listen carefully. This includes those people who we refer to as cultural Christians. Now, what do I mean by the phrase cultural Christians? I want you to listen very carefully. These are people who have grown up in a Western Christian culture like ours. Men and women who are familiar with spiritual and religious activities. Those people who are familiar and comfortable attending church with some frequency. Those who who look in the mirror and they understand, I'm not Jewish and I'm not Muslim and I'm not Hindu and I'm not Buddhist. Therefore, I must be Christian. It is those folks who identify as a Christian more from an ethnic and cultural perspective than they do a personal relationship with Christ. See, these are people who know the answers to Bible questions. These are the people who've been around Christianity and Christian things their entire life, but they've never surrendered in faith to Jesus. There's no spiritual fruit that indicates they know Christ as Savior. See, these are people who know of Christ and are familiar with Christ but do not know Christ. Let me give you an example. If you and I were to go out in our community this afternoon and we were to take a a one-question survey to every house and knocked on every door and we were to ask this question, do you identify as A, Muslim, B, Jewish, C, Hindu, D, uh, uh, um, what am I missing? Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, or Christian? 95 plus percent of the people in our community would say, I identify as a Christian. And yet we all know that 95% of our community do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. Culturally, they identify as a Christian. But inwardly, they've never surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ. Identifying as a Christian doesn't make us a Christian any more than me identifying as a woman makes me a woman. We've got to surrender in faith to Jesus Christ. So what will hell be like? Look with me. Never-ending torment, torture, and anguish. Hell is not a place of annihilation, as some would have us to believe. Matthew 25, verse 46. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal punishment. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left, we looked at this earlier, depart from me, you are cursed, into the eternal fire. Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In your notes I've written there, we'll find it is a place of emotional torment, physical torment, spiritual torment. Now, let me say this. God does not delight 
God does not rejoice in any person spending eternity in hell. God does not want anyone to go to hell. God wants everyone to be saved and to spend eternity with him. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel says to us in Ezekiel 18, verse 23. Read this with me. God is speaking. He says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives? Ezekiel 33, verse 11. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent. Repent of your evil ways. Something very interesting. As you study Scripture, you find this to be true. In its most technical sense, listen carefully. God does not send anybody to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You and I choose to go to hell by rejecting God's plan of salvation. God would have us to go to heaven. God wants us in his presence. God's presented us the opportunity. But as John Stott said, you and I have to appropriate it to our life. We have to surrender to God's plan of redemption. So hell is a real place. Next, heaven is a real place. Here's the good news, all right? Heaven is a real place. First thing I want you to see is heaven is God's dwelling place. Revelation 21.3, the Apostle John writing of the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to what he says here. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So it's the dwelling place of God, but it's also it's the final dwelling place of believers to all those who are followers of Christ. In the same verse, Revelation 21.3 points that out to us. So that leads us to this question. Who will be in heaven? Who will be in heaven? Just like we asked who would be in hell, who will be in heaven? Well, first, look with me, the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that, we, we ought to, that makes perfect sense. Angels, the body of Christ, Old Testament saints. Hebrews 12, verses 22 and 23. The writer of Hebrews says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we see the language elders, the angels, the spirit of God, the lion from the tribe of Judah, God Almighty will be in heaven. Revelation 21 verse 27, look with me here at this verse. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, the new Jerusalem. That's what it's a reference to. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I mentioned to you earlier, we'd look at that. Let me just walk you through a little bit of, of, of what Scripture teaches us about the Lamb's uh, book of life. The first reference we see in the New Testament is from Philippians 4 and verse 3. Just listen as I walk you through this. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he's wanting to commend these individuals who have partnered with him in the gospel. Listen to what he says. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement 
And listen to this. And the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Then again, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, we just read that. Read that. To the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. And then in Revelation 13, 8, we see the negative to this. Listen to what the scripture says. All those who live on the earth will worship it. That is the Antichrist. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. And so the context of these verses help us to clearly see and understand that only those names of the redeemed are written in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, listen, there's a log in heaven with the name of every human being that would surrender to faith in Christ, past, present, and future. And it's only those whose names are written in the Lamb book of life that will find their way into God's presence for all of eternity. But I want to also point this out. Look with me here in your notes. Unborn children, perhaps you've been through a miscarriage. Your child is in heaven. Young children who die. And I'm going to use the phrase extra special people also. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David has lost his infant son. David's heartbroken over the loss of his son. But listen to what he says in his mourning. He says, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he'll never return to me. This verse gives us strong evidence that, that uh, for a heavenly destiny for an unborn or young child who dies. Now, this verse doesn't explicitly say that they'll be in heaven, but we do know this. We do know that David was a believer. We do know that David's destiny was heaven. We do know that David is in heaven today. And so, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David says, listen, he, he, he can't come to where I am, but, I, but I'm going to see him again. And so, I want to just provide hope and encouragement to all of you who have lost a, an unborn child or a young child uh, to rejoice in this truth that they are in the presence of God Almighty for all of eternity. But in addition to that, I want to just speak to what I refer to as extra special people, those who are not capable of intellectually understanding the gospel and their need of a Savior. We, we have to trust the character of God. The Bible says in Psalm 86 and verse 15 that God is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. And so when a young child or, or an adult who cannot comprehend the gospel and their sin and their need of a Savior dies, we have to trust the nature and the character of God that he will bring them into his presence for all of eternity. Remember this. Eternal condemnation is based on the clear rejection of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So it stands to reason if a, if a young child or, or uh, an adult who intellectually can't comprehend the gospel, if they don't understand their need of a Savior, then it stands to reason that they equally are not able to willfully reject the gospel. And so we trust the Lord that he brings these individuals to heaven with him. Amen? Well, what will heaven be like? Number one, a life of worship. A life of worship. One of the curses of sin is the inability of humanity to worship God outside of saving grace. 
in heaven as a result of saving grace, this curse no longer exists and we can freely and fully worship God like we were created to do. You'll see in your notes there, Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. I'd encourage you to go home and read it. (laughs) We are going to worship in heaven. And and let me just say this. This is a precursor to heaven. This is the (laughs) pregame. If you don't enjoy worshiping here, you're going to have a really hard time in heaven. So I'm going to encourage you, learn to worship. Worship freely and uninhibitedly. Worship the Lord. Sing his praises. Shout his joy. Say, Pastor, I don't sing good. Either do I. I sing awful. But I sing. I sing because I love to worship. Friends, that's what we're going to do for all of eternity. It's a life of worship. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're going to sing a new song. We're not going to sing the songs we're even familiar with. And guess what? We're going to like the new song. And so learn to worship. Number two, a life of fellowship. Another result of sin is a broken relationship with God. Outside of saving grace, what does the Bible teach us? Our relationship with God is one of hostility and enmity. But in Christ, our relationship with God is one of friendship. Matter of fact, the Bible calls us a friend of God. And so we're going to have a life of fellowship, not only with God, but with other believers. Look with me at John 14 and verse 3. Jesus is speaking, and listen to what he says. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And so we get to fellowship with Christ. Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, that is the new Jerusalem, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And so we have a life of fellowship with Christ and with one another. Next, a life that never ends. Sin's curse is death. However, in heaven, death does not exist because, of the, because the curse of sin has been eliminated. Look with me at these verses of Scripture from Revelation 21 and verse 4. Death will be no more. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Remember when we studied the doctrine of man just a few weeks ago, we talked about that God created us as immortal beings. In his image, in his likeness, that is one of the aspects of that. You and I are going to live forever. We're going to live forever in one of two places. But next, the Bible tells us that heaven will be a life of rest. Now, not a life where we prop our feet up on the couch all day and do nothing, okay? But a life of rest. Look, another curse of sin is the toil and agony of work. In heaven we will work, but our work will be enjoyable. The labor and the toil will not exist. Look at Revelation 14 and verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. So they will rest from their labors. I don't want to see a show of hands, all right? But, but tomorrow morning, many of us are going to, we're going to get up, we're going to take a shower, we're going to eat breakfast, we're going to put on our clothes, and we're going to go to work. And for many of us, we're going to dread it, right? It's laborious, and it's challenging, and it's difficult, and it's not enjoyable. You say, well, why do we go? Well, because we like to eat and we like to have a house, right? So you got to do those things. Well, in heaven, we're going to work, but our work's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be pleasurable. We're going to look forward to it. 
That's hard for us to understand in this life, isn't it? But not in the next life. But then next, we see it'll be a life of enjoyable service. Not just work, but service. We will serve the Lord with gladness and joy. Uh, just yesterday, Melissa and I were bragging about you guys. Uh, we we were, had, to, had a wedding to go to in Clemson and, and saw a bunch, bunch of my college buddies and their families. And we were bragging about you guys. We were talking about our Wednesday night dinners. And we are bragging about how many of you faithfully serve every week in preparing the meal and cooking the meal and serving the meal and cleaning up. And I want, I want to say this as your pastor. It, it, is, it is a blessing to watch you serve. I want to thank you for serving. I want to thank you for, for using those talents and gifts and passions. It, it, it's a blessing. And I know it's not easy. And I know there are Wednesdays when you think, oh, gosh. I got to go cook a meal. I got to go clean up a meal, whatever. Right, I know. I get it. I understand. But I want to thank you for serving. In heaven, it'll be enjoyable to serve all the time, right? It'll never be a burden. Listen to what the Bible says from Revelation 22 and verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship or serve him. <laughs> we get to serve the Lord for all of eternity. Next, it'll be a life of holiness. Sin will no longer be a reality in our lives. We will be holy. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand, watch this, in the presence of his glory, you ready? Without blemish and with great joy. Friends, there's coming a day where all of our life will be honoring and glorifying to the Lord. No more sin and no more shame and no more guilt and no more regrets. Look with me, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, watch this, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Oh, there's coming a day, friends, when we will be pure and holy and righteous and blameless in the presence of our Lord. Then finally, look at the last point there. Heaven will be a life absent of these things. No more tears, death, sorrow, crying, or pain. None of that exists in heaven. No more night. Nothing unclean, nothing detestable, nothing false. There won't be a sun or a moon in heaven. Why? Because the glory of God provides the light. Now, that's, that's very interesting. I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1 for just a second. I want to read to you verses 3 through 5. Listen, listen to what we see. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was an evening, and there was a morning one day. Now that's very interesting because it wasn't until the fourth day when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Listen to verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And so it was. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day 
and the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning the fourth day. So what was the light on days one, two, and three? Are you ready? It was the glory of God. And in the new heavens and the new earth, guess what provides for us the light? The glory of God. God is going to restore all things. He's going to make all things new. There's a new heaven and a new earth on its way. And all of history is moving towards that great and wonderful and awesome day when God recreates everything in the pattern that he made it in the beginning. And friends, that's where we get to dwell with him for all of eternity. So there it is. The eternal options for every member of the human race. Where we spend eternity, listen, depends on what we do with Jesus in this life. It doesn't matter what family we came from. It doesn't matter what ethnic or cultural background we came from. It doesn't matter what nation we grew up in. For every member of the human race, eternity depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. What you do personally. Not your mom, not your dad, not your brother, not your sister, not your grandmother, your grandfather, your aunt, your uncle, or anybody else. What are you going to do with Jesus? Look at me at this verse of Scripture from John chapter 14. Jesus has just shared with his disciples, his closest friends, that he's getting ready to be crucified. They're heartbroken over this, for they've left everything to follow him. They've, they've, they've left family. They've been excommunicated. They've left their jobs. They've left everything to give their life to this man named Jesus, who they believe to be the Savior of the world. And they're heartbroken over his announcement that he's going to be crucified and killed. And listen to what he says to them. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the door to heaven. Have you walked through that door? Let's pray. Father God, eternity awaits every individual in this room and every individual outside of this room. And Father God, there are men and women, students, young adults in this room today who have never walked through the door that is called Jesus Christ. And Father God, I am asking right now that you would grab hold of their heart and their mind and bring them to Jesus Christ. Bring them to a personal relationship with your son, the Messiah of the world. Please don't let them leave this place without securing their eternal destiny in heaven. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed.
perhaps you are keenly aware that you've never surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ. You're familiar with Christ. You're comfortable with Christ. You're comfortable with the church and the singing of these songs. You're comfortable with the preaching of the word. But you know that you have never made a personal decision to surrender your life and follow Christ as Savior. Friend, why not today? Why, why not stop gambling with your eternity and say yes to Jesus? It is the single greatest decision any human being can make. And so regardless of your background, maybe today's your first time to step foot in a church. Why not say yes to Jesus today? Pastor, how do I do that? What's involved in that? It's amazingly simple. Right where you're seated, just cry out to the Lord in, in, in a fashion like this. There's nothing magical about these words, but if it expresses the desire of your heart, Father God, here's my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is your one and only Son. I believe that He died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe He's coming again. Father God, I want to experience forgiveness of sin. I want to spend eternity with you. Here's my life. I'm tired of chasing after my dreams and my ambitions and my goals, and I'm ready to surrender to you and to follow you wherever you would lead. Take my life, Lord. Here it is. I accept your free gift of salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. And friends, by the authority of God's word, if you are sincere in that heart's desire, God has indeed redeemed you and saved you and rescued you and reconciled you to himself. Now, live for him heavenly father thank you for our time together today thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises and to study your word thank you father god that you have, have have given us a plan of redemption lord that we we don't have to spend eternity separated from you but we we can we can spend eternity in your presence where we can worship you and we can fellowship with you and we can love you and honor you and glorify you in that way that you created us to in the meantime, Lord, prepare our hearts for eternity. Prepare us for that moment when we enter into your presence, Lord. Use us as instruments of your grace today, Father God. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen.